0: You're now, listening to a new episode of Gratitude Through Hard Times. Gratitude instills humility, gratitude removes the ego, gratitude helps empower the best in others around you. Our goal is to guide individuals and companies to practice gratitude so you can live a longer, happier, and more successful life. Get ahead of life with connection and purpose. This is Gratitude Through Hard Times with Chris Shembra. Well, good afternoon ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Gratitude Through Hard Times. It's your host, Chris Shembra, and today I'm broadcasting live from very sunny, very warm New York City. I've just spent the last week with my mother and father and cousins in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, reconnecting with faith, family, and the fun of living our life work. That's what I felt in Hilton Head Island, and that is the mission of today's guest. I'm so excited to have you here for this podcast episode. If you are new here today, I thank you for showing up. I don't know what it took you to stumble upon our humble podcast, but if you look through our podcast episode archives, you'll see our mission is to bring on some of the world's great leaders to tell the story of how gratitude, empathy, human connection has helped them build some of the brightest companies on the planet. If you like what you hear today, uh, we invite you to click that subscribe button and join us along for our journey. If you're joining us for... Uh, a repeat offender, welcome back. Some of my favorite moments are when you write in your favorite questions, comments, thoughts, concerns on today's episode guest. I know a lot of you have taken the principles you've learned in this podcast and use it to inspire more meaningful moments of human connection in your own life and the way you lead your amazing companies. We thank you for being a, a great part of our journey. As you know, our mission is is to inspire meaningful moments of connection. This podcast is an honor of our number one Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Gratitude Through Hard Times. It wouldn't have hit the list and had the impact it's had without your loyal listenership and support. So thank you for tuning in. Today's guest. Oh, it's going to be a good one. Today, we've got a new friend of ours, Heath Rittenour. Heath is, gosh, how do I describe Heath? He is a man that believes in the in the fundamental core principles of business, of faith, of family, of investing in people, of creating a culture of innovation. He is the chairman and CEO of the Insurance Office of America. Yes, his mother and father founded the company back in 1988, but Heath has taken over as chairman and CEO in recent years and brought the company to all new heights. Get these statistics, 1,500 employees, over 60 locations, 72,000 customers, ranked as one of the top insurance, largest insurance brokerages in America, and you know what he does? He built that company, or is, is growing that company by investing in his people, doing business the good way, valuing relationships, honoring faith, taking care of families, knowing that you are only as good as your people. As our dear friend Dave Lindsay once said, businesses don't grow, people do. We're here to talk about that. So I, I thank you for your, your, your tuning in and without further ado, I'd like to welcome Heath to the podcast. Welcome.
1: Appreciate that, Chris. Glad to be here.
0: And you are calling in from my college hometown of Orlando, Florida, really an, an under, underrated community, a community of really good people. Agreed. Now, Heath. I know you've listened to a few of our podcast episodes. We always like to start each episode with a simple question. We use it as a jump-off point to then guide where our conversation goes. If you're new to this podcast, we have been spending close to the last decade bringing people together for meaningful moments of connection around a simple concept, gratitude. We got our start around the dinner table close to 10 years ago. We've used these principles to spark over 500,000 relationships within the workplace and have seen some pretty amazing things happen. We got our start around a simple question that I'd like to ask Heath to start the, the conversation today. Heath, if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to or that you've never thought to thank my first thought would be my would father, but be? I've
1: given him, you know, plenty of thanks, but I'll tell you the one that really comes to mind. And he recently passed on, um, was my, my high school football coach, um, guy that was extremely hard on me, but, uh, w- but taught me a lot, a guy that I think helped mold and shape me, um, to prepare myself for college football, but really for life and for business. Coach Fred Allman, um, coach at Lake Brantley High School and um, was able to celebrate his life when he passed last year. But what a blessing he was to me um, to see things that were blind spots as a you know teenage kid, little punk kind of mindset, all about football and the girls and didn't have all my priorities in alignment. Um, and he would be the one that comes to mind. I haven't since he's passed, hasn't spent a lot of time thinking about him, but dearly love that man and miss that man.
0: Coach Fred, he saw your blind spots and he helped you understand that your priorities were out of whack.
1: You know, I I was a typical kid growing up and had a lot of success in football, baseball, basketball. Like I said, I was able to get a scholarship to play in college at a one double A school, but my whole mindset was around football girls and the party. Um, Didn't care a lot about school didn't really want to go to college for any other reason than to run out of the tunnel and play. And then with the dream to one day do that on a Sunday, which, you know, certainly didn't happen, but um, he had a lot of deep conversations with me about life. You know, it was less about football and more about like what really matters in life and kind of helped begin to open my eyes to things that were bigger um, that I just didn't care much about. I didn't think much about, I was, you know, kind of a tunnel vision type A guy. And I had my focus on, Two things that weren't so good—the girl, not the girls—are so bad. But girls' party and football. But really, didn't think a whole lot else about you know my life, my impact on others, why I was really here, uh, a relationship with Christ, and all things that I believe truly matter and have made me who I am today. I think He helped crack that door open for me in my mind to start to see things through a different set of lenses.
0: Hmm. How how does a person do that in general to someone that doesn't know that the shift needs to occur within them? I mean, did you have resistance? Were you open to the change? How do you then bring that change or oh, yeah. inspired shift to priorities? Because he had to been others? in the
1: same place I was, right? He was a highly touted high school he's a baseball player, played football as well, but you know, I ended up playing at a high level in baseball and had a similar mentality to myself at that age. And so I could resonate with the guy. You know, he spoke to me in my language at the time, and he knew what I, how I felt and what I was going through and, and my mindset. And so I was open, um, frankly, just opened my mind to looking at things a little differently and, and listening to a guy that I did have a, a tremendous amount of respect for. Cause I felt like he was real. I felt like he was authentic. He wasn't talking down to me. He was talking to me at my level and just sharing with me his story and how he had grown and changed. And it caused me to kind of look inward a little more, really look inward for pretty much the first time as a, as a teenager to kind of see things differently than I had prior.
0: he here today
1: and that what would you say impact. to impact, and I think so much of people's lives, you forget that what really matters is the relationships and the impact you make on people. And I'm not sure he fully recognizes The impact he made, I know on myself and so many of my my teammates and other kids that he had coached for many years. Um, And as I think about that, you know, there's just nothing better. It's better than money. It's better than than anything I can think of when I look back and know that that man changed a lot of people's lives and probably really died without fully understanding the true impact he had. So I would just tell him, I love you, man. And hey, here's some things that you're probably not aware of. And I'm sure he would love to hear it. Hoping he's up there hearing me now. Um, But just impact. And I know that's a goal of mine is how can I be more impactful, you know, while I'm here.
0: I love that, Heath. And thank you for sharing your gratitude to Coach Heath. Right. A man wanting uh, to to coach Fred, uh, a man sharing to another man. I love you. Right. That that there is a certain fear or vulnerability of being able to say to another man, I love you, uh, but but this man was truly an advocate in your life. And I know Insurance Office of America believes in each of your people and helping your customers and clients become advocates, right? You literally define that as one who speaks or acts in favor of another. You had that as a young age or at a young age with Coach Fred. And you know I want to zoom out. And really talk to our audience for a sec. You know There are probably people in your lives, like a Coach Fred, that you haven't realized, fully realized, the impact they've had on you. And you then haven't gone out and thanked them for that. And I want you to think about the people in your life that you've never thought to thank. Do they realize the impact they have on others? Do you owe this energy to them? to thank them. If they are no longer with us, that is all right. What do we do with that energy? We pay it forward in their honor, in the way we lead, in the way we serve, in the way we become an advocate for others. Remember, gratitude just feels good to give. Even if the recipient isn't here to receive it, it feels good for us to give it. Thank you for sharing that story about Coach Fred. Sure. Also, on the flip side, the odds are, if you're listening to this podcast, you have been Coach Fred to others in your own life, and I hope you understand the impact that you're having on others, and you fully, fully appreciate it. I know a lot of you who are are tuning in, who have achieved tremendous levels of success, still have a great imposter syndrome. You probably think you faked it, or once people actually know who you are, they'll hate you, or uh, I don't know, you don't deserve to be where you are. But the truth is, you've had a massive impact on others, and you deserve the gratitude and appreciation. So thank you just for showing up here today, Heath. Does does that does that twist on it? Does that ring true for you?
1: Yeah, so you said something a moment ago, Chris. You said you used the word vulnerability, and just to kind of be fully open with that. So it's it's something I've been turning the cube on, I guess, lately, where I've always said my love language, what I love most about people is authenticity. And I used to really separate authenticity and vulnerability. And I used to feel like, you know, as a leader, you got to be authentic, meaning you got to be real. Say what's on your mind, do, do what you say, and all that stuff that I do love and appreciate about people. But I used to feel like the vulnerability side, you know was weak. And as a leader, you don't portray weakness and all this other stuff, and what I've begun to learn and realize over the past maybe year or so, is that you can't be authentic without being vulnerable. And so I'm learning in my own leadership style to be more open, to be more transparent, to be more vulnerable. And what I've seen, the fruit that's come out of that, when you do that with your team, you know, many folks that are dealing with their their boss or someone that's in leadership, they don't wanna portray their areas of weakness. They don't wanna show you something that you may look at them and think less of them. But I've found when I'm open with my weaknesses, when I'm open with my challenges, when I'm authentic and vulnerable in that way, it opens them up to feel comfortable being more open with me. And then you can build together from there and create a more cohesive relationship, create an environment where people feel okay to tell you where they're good, tell you where they're bad, tell you where they're struggling. You can have a true relationship and then it's much easier to grow and build a team when you, you have that openness. And it was an area of leadership in my own life that I kind of kept the vulnerability piece to the side, and I'm learning now that it was a missed opportunity to connect with so many people that I didn't really show my true self to. And so, I don't know, just when you use the term vulnerability, that's just kind of what hit me in my head because it's been a more recent um, growth area in my own life that I do want to be authentic. But part of that means you're vulnerable, you're honest, you're open about where you're good, where you stink, where you need to improve, because we're all human. We all have got plenty of that we can be better and grow in. So that's just a new kind of area of my mind that I've been learning and trying to grow in and being as open and vulnerable as I can be. And I, I've seen fruit.
0: Heath, I love that. You know, I, I want to ask our audience to, to ponder the question. Um, you know, do human beings connect and do human beings become inspired when we portray that our life is perfect or do human beings connect and humans being human beings be inspired into action when we can reveal a vulnerability we acknowledge we need help from others and others can step in and be part of our movement you know to get us ahead Heath, you're really reacting positively to that tell me tell me about the difference in those two portraying right because I get like you are a leader with thousands of people who probably need to see that your life appears perfect, right? It, like there's high pressure on that environment, but you're saying the opposite is that the more you reveal the truth of who you are and the challenges that you're going through, you invite that from others. Tell me about that. So
1: when you portray, uh, here's a quick story on that. So one of our partners had moved over here from the United Kingdom. Um, And I guess in the UK, their culture is if you're the CEO and you're in part of a a big corporation, you're going to wear your power suit and your tie. And I don't care if at home your wife's dying of cancer, your kids are sick, you have all these other troubles. You sit up there and you give your talk like you're perfect. You're strong. Nothing's wrong. And that's just kind of the, the power position and the way you act. And, As I started to move into the direction of this vulnerability and authenticity, it came from Brian, the gentleman I'm talking about from the United Kingdom that heard my talk seven years ago when I had just got over cancer. Um, I was bald head, just got through chemo and I was vulnerable and open about how hard it was and and all this stuff. And he said to me afterwards, I am so attracted to America thinking that American CEOs were this way because it's not that way over there. Because man, if you got cancer over there, your hair may be falling out. You don't talk about it. You get up there, you talk business. You have a persona that everyone in that role kind of looks the same. And that just caused me to think, you know, and I learned so much going through that, that that cancer situation seven years ago, but it just opened me up to it's real. And I know I'm attracted to real. And when I'm dealing with someone that I'm very impressed by and they're willing to be open because I'm, you know, I understand, right? And we all know there is no such thing as perfect. It's a fool's errand. It doesn't happen. It's a treadmill to nowhere. Nobody's perfect. We're all human. We all have our flaws. We all have our issues. And so when I was, after going through the most difficult challenge in my life, shared it in an open way, and I saw the response to it, and I saw that people were then willing to talk with me about their struggles and their challenges, it just changed the way, and it's been an ever-growing change in my life, of what I believe truth is. It's not wearing a mask. Too many, I say men, but too many people are so focused on looking the part and wearing a mask, but you die every day like that. There's no realness in it. There's no authenticity in it. You're not truly, people don't know you. They know you're representative. And I truly do want to be, I want to work with people and be fully known. I want to work with people that trust me, that believe me. And I believe in them because they know me. They don't know my representative. They don't know the guy that puts the power suit on and, and the mask on and acts a certain way or says the right things and acts like their life is perfect. I just think it's it's it's, it's less than inauthentic and I just don't want to lead that way. And as I've shifted in this direction, as I said earlier, I've just seen the fruit. I've seen closer relationships amongst our team. I've seen them and our leaders be more willing to be more vulnerable to their teams and the relationships grow, the business grows proportionately and we actually like each other. You know, it's not <laughs> unattainable oh, you know, he eat or he eat. is so special because they're perfect. No, man, we're all, we all got our stuff. But we can talk about our stuff together and learn from each other and build deeper, closer relationships and actually move the needle in business Mm. better. So, you know, it kind of all comes full circle from there.
0: It sounds like the greater that you can empathize with what your teammates are actually going through, the greater you can actually come together to innovate and create outsized business results.
1: 100%.
0: (laughs) We, um, We'll put some statistics around that maybe in the show notes below. That's, uh, you know, the science and the psychology of everything that you've just talked about. That is everything we believe in here, you know, as well. I want to go back a step to this. I want to paint the picture for our listeners of the idea of you being the son
1: mm-hmm.
0: of John and Valley. Mm-hmm who founded an amazing company in 1988 and you not necessarily wanting to take over as CEO and chairman. Like I can understand as an only child of a businessman, you know, the pressure's on the want is there, but the more they want it, the more you don't want it. But then your priorities start to shift things happen, then it becomes something that you can step into and devote your entire life to is steering this ship. Can you paint me a picture of that whole story? I mean, you don't necessarily need to go back to, you know, what, what John and Valley had built, but you know, your, your dad, your dad and mom, uh, really, really set the scene, um, really built a culture that would make someone want to work there for their entire lives. But you kind of went the opposite. And and now here you are leading it to its next phase of growth.
1: Yeah. So I came home from college football and I realized I'd never play on Sunday, as I said. And I thought we had a small agency at the time. We had eight people here. And I knew all the guys that, that were here at the time. I grew up around them all. And I asked my dad, I said, hey, I don't know what I want to do in life. I know I'll never play on Sundays in football. I know what I don't want to do, and that's be an insurance business. But while I'm home, maybe I can spend time with our eight partners and meet their customers, and find an industry I'm attracted to, and I'll know what the heck I want to do. And I quickly found out at the end of that summer, this business wasn't what I thought. You know, I think used car sales. Who the heck would want to be an insurance broker? And then I clearly saw this line of demarcation between our eight, our eight partners at the time, where four of them, frankly, were commodity salespeople, didn't bring a lot of value. They just bought you, brought you a policy, came back in 12 months to renew it. But I saw these other four guys, my dad being one of them, that were truly advocates, partnership. You know, Their clients looked to them for real consultative advice, looked to them to help mitigate risk. And so I remember that in the summertime, my dad, like, you know, I'm a kid, I get zits on my face, I could barely spell insurance, but if these four guys over here like you, dad, it's gonna take me a long time to look like you, but these four over here, they do a pretty, make a pretty good living, and one thing, like my father, I was always a really hard worker. I thought, you know what, I could build a residual income book, I wanna come in and go full commission, I didn't wanna come in and take a salary and be the second generation, you know, for lack of a better term, the golden sperm kid. Um, so I came in, did the whole apartment deal, ramen noodles, four guys, barely had you know, enough to make rent, did call, this was in 96, made 100 cold calls every day. Um, on Fridays would drive up and down main roads and like literally walk in offices trying to bid and quote on people's insurance. Um, and that's how I got my start and I eventually started to have some success um, fully in sales, fully on commission. And then kind of the story, how the transition came. My father was chairman and CEO. We had a president who'd been with us Dave like 15 years. And Dave let us know in January of 08 that in June of that year, he was going to retire. And my dad says to me, he says, you know, son, you built your book here. At this point, I was a million-dollar producer. You did it organically. You're respected. You're a natural leader. You would be a great – my dad wanted to transition just to the chairman's role. He said, you'd be a great CEO, and Jeff, who's still with us, would be a great president. And I literally said to him, not no hell no – you know, I was 31. I'm only 46 today. Our business at that point in 08 was about a $70 million company with about 500 people. Um, and I felt inadequate. Uh, I had never been through a macroeconomic crisis before. My personal book of business was melting down. I insured a lot of construction folks in Florida. And in 08, they had no work. So all of a sudden, my book is getting cut in half. My revenue is getting cut in half. And my dad throws this out there to me. And I literally said, not no, hell no. A couple weeks went by, brought up again. I had the same, you know, flippant response. Um, But come in full circle. And what I am going to tell you is a spiritual story. And what I always tell my partners here you don't have to believe like me politically, spiritually to be wanted here, valued here, successful here. Um, But I hope you're not offended if I share what I believe because I'm just being, you know, real. And so my dad took me to lunch, maybe or breakfast, I should say, maybe two or three weeks before June, before Dave's retirement party. And he asked me a couple of things. He said, you know, son, I know you don't have a desire to sit in this chair. I see things in you you're not seeing in yourself. But what I'll ask you to do is just one thing for me, and I'm like, sure, Pop, do anything for you. And he said, we pray about it. And here's what I said: forgive me. But I'm like, shit, pray about it. I don't want to do it. I'm scared of it. I feel inadequate. The economy's a wreck. But whatever, you know, I'll pray about it. And so, Chris, I personally have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not a religious guy, um, and I literally sit in my on a barstool in my kitchen that afternoon. And I'm just having an out loud conversation with God. And I'm literally saying everything I just said to you, the economy sucks. My book of business is a wreck. I'm 31. This business is so huge. I don't have a finance degree from Harvard or anything like that. Um, And I just felt the weight of the responsibility and all that came with it. And I guess if I'm being real, (laughs) I probably maybe wanted to hear the rebuttal, right? I wanted to hear how great I was, or you know, all this other stuff. But what I will never, ever forget is what I truly felt like God spoke to my heart in that moment was just simply, if not you, who? And I truly, at that moment, I thought about it because everything we do in our industry is so very different. We always say we're different in an industry of sameness. And I knew at the time there were two gentlemen that really wanted to sit in the chair that I sit into today. And I believed in my heart they wanted it for the wrong reasons. I thought they wanted the title and the accolades and the things that come with it. But I didn't think they appreciated the responsibility and the sacrifice and the fact that the decisions in this chair impacted at that time over 500 families. And so in my heart, I believed that those two gentlemen, if I didn't do it, that they would get greedy, that they would change our model, that would make us look very much like all of our competitors. Because I call us the third option. Our large national brokers in my space are pretty much Wall Street firms are owned by private equity. There's almost a. Very few of us that are privately held like we are. And I believed in my heart those two gentlemen would make us look like everyone else. And so I went in the next morning and I told my pop, I said, you know, I'm scared to death, honestly, of the responsibility and what it would take to do this. But it scares me more to think about what would happen to our culture and our company if I don't do it. Because I believe they would turn us into our peers. And so I jumped in in 2008, you know, really trusting God that he would surround me with the right people, that he would be there with me and that that I have the right partners to help us grow. And what I'm most proud of, Chris, is, you know, since then we went from 70 million this year, we'll do well over 300 million. But what I'm most proud of is we've done it organically. We've done it without being an acquisition firm and taking on debt to go buy people and cut out costs and get a return. We've done it based on providing a home that people feel loved and valued and appreciated that they can grow here and be part of a family. And so that's what I've been, you know, I'm most proud of since 2008 and where we've come from. It's all been focused. And I felt like when I took the job, I did so to focus on culture. I did so to maintain the legacy, you know, that my parents, you know, put down before me. And, you know, they came from my dad grew up in the projects of Pittsburgh, was a steel mill worker. And my mom grew up, we call her the rich one. She grew up in the trailer park down the street from my pop. So, you know, (laughs) watching them build this thing and then being able to help be involved in taking it to the next level has been unbelievably fulfilling. But at the time, it was the most scary decision I ever made. Um, But I really did it for those reasons. And I'm thankful now. And I'm really, frankly, thankful now that I did it in 2008, because as COVID and other things have come along that, you know, throw you with these curveballs, I would go back to... You know, feeling like I was thrown out in the middle of the ocean to swim by myself. And so it's really prepared me for whatever curveball comes next, whatever the next COVID or the next tragedy or the next, you know, economic crisis looks like. I feel like not only will God be there with me, but we'll be we'll be able to adjust. we'll, We'll be able to get through it.
0: Heath, what a fantastic story. Heath, you've really. You had a moment where you could rise up to the challenge or you could shirk away and, you know, shrivel and, and hide. I mean, if, if, if you study the, if you study the world of uh, emotion regulation, the action urge of fear is to hide and withdraw and, sh- and shrivel and be quiet. Uh, but that doesn't get us anywhere, does it? Nope. It's a temporary fix. The, Opposite action of fear is to get big, be a servant, face the fear in the face with a good heart. And you did that. You took on a leadership position while the world was down. And the new normal of where you went after that dark period is greater than where you started. By the way, that is like the best narrative structure in the history of the world. A protagonist like you or a protagonist like the Insurance Office of America is walking down the street at a normal pace, and then they fall into a hole, and then you learn some things in that hole, and you start climbing out of that hole, and the new normal of where you are is greater than where you started. Kurt Vonnegut calls it the "man in the hole" theory.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, the cool things that you can do is start to be grateful for the moment of adversity to have occurred, because it ends up being one of the best things that's ever happened to you.
1: Hundred percent. So
0: hundred percent
1: on that. Yeah, that's what I learned, and and the 2008 scare cancer seven years ago. I learned through those challenges. I wouldn't be who I am without it. So I now am more of, I have more of a mindset that when I feel like I'm in the ditch or when I get hit with a curveball or I get hit with a massive challenge in my life, I can remind myself, this is where your growth comes from, man. You know, I, I look at my life and I, again, I had some success in sports. I've had success in business. But when I look at where all my growth has come from, it's when I blew it. It's when I made a mistake. It's when I had challenges. It's when I got sick. That's where a lot of my growth, almost all of it has come from. And so I've programmed my mind or my way of thinking now when I'm in that feeling like I'm in the ditch or I got hit with something out of left field to remind myself, hey, hey, dude, this is where the the, the, the growth comes. This is going to be an opportunity for growth. Challenges are what the, are exactly as I just said, they're opportunities. And so going through those two specific things in my life have prepared me for whatever comes next, and to have the mindset of this is a growth opportunity. Don't run. Don't hide. Don't live in fear. Head on the challenge and realize that at the end of this, you'll probably look back on it and be thankful for it. Because I will tell you, I'm thankful for 2008. And I know this sounds really, really jacked up to say, I'm thankful for cancer. I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't think the way I do because I'm so type A and driven and have blinders on sometimes. That experience has changed me. Um, And I believe made me much, much better in so many different ways. So I'm thankful for it now. Sounds weird to say, but I am.
0: It it doesn't sound weird to say, Heath. And actually, science is on your side. You know, the the idea of taking a negative autobiographical experience from your past and assigning a series of positive benefits to it. If the positive benefits outweigh the negative, you're allowed to be grateful for it. And, and your cancer and 2008 and COVID, et cetera, et cetera, have likely taught you compassion, self-confidence, brought your family closer, gave you a community of support, gave you a positive lifestyle change, helped you make more money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If those positives outweigh the negatives, sure, that's gratitude. Uh, my friend Ron Carson says there's a gift in every, uh, there's a gift in everything, um, right? That the, these concepts, uh, you know, I want to zoom out again and talk to our audience for a sec. Folks, these, these concepts I know are concepts that uh, are very valuable for you right now. Um, look, the state of the American workforce is a very scary place. of your employees report uh, at least one symptom of a mental health condition on a daily basis. 50% of your employees report feeling lonely on a consistent basis, which is equivalent to the reduction of lifespan smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 44% of you listening to this podcast right now as a high-powered executive are likely going through some sort of stress or depression associated with layoffs the fear of AI, great economic uncertainty. And so not seeing this moment as something that could potentially be the worst thing that's ever happened to us, but actually looking at this moment right now and saying this might be the best thing that's ever happened to us. Some of you might have lost uh, investments, inventory, talent market share, whatever it may be, this is the way. You know, the great Marcus Aurelius, emperor of Rome from 161 to 180 AD, once said that the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. This obstacle that you're going through right now, cancer, death, economic uncertainty, AI, global plague, pandemic. This is the best thing that will ever happen to us. Heath, what do you have to say about that?
1: So a number of years ago when he said Marcus Aurelius, I laughed because I started reading a lot of the old Stoics. Um, and there's so much meat on that bone, man. I mean, <laughs> it, um, also help me shape my thinking, help me understand how to deal with adversity, help me understand you know, a, a combination of my walk with Christ and understanding the Stoic philosophy um, has been impactful. So I'd encourage the listeners, um, do some homework on it. Read some of that stuff. It really will open your eyes to look at things probably through a different set of lenses than you currently do, and it will absolutely help you be a better husband, wife, mother, father, leader. Um, I think it's impactful in all areas of your life. And so when you just said that, it brought me back to I was, many years ago, at least a decade plus, um, where I just stumbled upon it in some article I read. Started reading the books, next thing you know, um, you know it's it's a very important part of my life, and I, and I completely believe mm-hmm. in that philosophy.
0: Heath, what's one thing that a leader listening to this call as we start to slowly wrap out? Yeah. what's one thing that a leader can do today first, to come into the present and acknowledge their humanity and understand I may be suffering but it may be the best thing that I could ever be going through. What's one thing they can do to come into the present?
1: What I would say is if anyone looks at their life, I'm highly confident if you write on a sheet of paper, let's say the five best things that have happened to you in your life, and on the opposite side of that paper, the five most difficult things, I think your conclusion will come that more fruit has come out of the challenges and the difficulties, and you need to remember to live in it. And you also need to be remember to share it and be vulnerable. Um, I, I can't hit that enough as I've just seen the relationships in our business at a board level, at a leadership level, become so much closer when you pull down the mask, when you're authentically vulnerable to your team about areas that you struggle with. and You take the lead and you share first. And I think when you do that, you might be surprised at how those walls come down and the relationships get tighter and you perform so much better, and you're, you're so much closer. I mean, ultimately, a byproduct of doing all that is a growing company, more profit. You know, I always say if you do all of these things, money is kind of the byproduct of it. If your focus is on the money, usually bad things happen. You may do deals that just make money that hurt your culture or whatever, whatever. Focus more on the relationships. Focus more on being connected. You know, my word of the year for last year was reconnect. Because with COVID, I felt disconnected, too many Zoom calls. And so I've been intentional about truly reconnecting with our people. And I hope if anyone hears this that feels like I did, disconnected, transactional. I kind of wanted to get past the transactional stuff. Hey, we got transactions in business. A lot of stuff you got to do. But the transformational side of building a deeper relationship, of being open and being connected with your team. Again, a byproduct to that is more growth, more profit, and guess what? A happier, more cohesive team. That's what I think any business leader should want. Um, But you got to take the first step, man. you got to take the mask off. I know I was a guy for a lot of years that, that wore the mask, you know, that wanted to be seen a certain way and all that stuff. But typically when you're wearing that fake mask, people look up to you and they think, oh, I could never be like that. And then they won't be open with you. You don't get to know the real them. They're wearing their mask. Once you take it off, they take theirs off. and I'm telling you good things happen.
0: I, I can't think of a, a better way to close out this podcast than that one thing. Very simple. Take off your mask. Number two, invite your team to take off your mask. Number three, invite your customers to take off your mask. Jim Harder, chief scientist of workplace well-being for Gallup, came on our podcast a few weeks ago and said a simple quote, low employee engagement leads to low customer engagement. Absolutely. You have a role to take off your mask first, get your employees connected, and your customers will come buy more, promote more, demonstrate more loyalty. Your people that you serve, your customers and your teams, your investors, your partners, whoever, they are going through a crisis, a disconnection crisis. The way that you can help them is by showing up as you authentically are with vulnerability, asking good questions, leading with empathy and service and a kind heart. And if you do that, we can promise you, well, I can't promise you because I've never built a 2000 person company, but we can promise you, uh, Heath and so many of our podcast guests can promise you, um, great, great, great fruits of your labor, um, do business the right way, invest in your people, create communities, and your people will thrive. And they won't, you know, they won't be, you know, miserable. At the end of the day, they'll be excited about coming to work. Well said, Heath. Uh, three to four sentences in closing. What did uh, what did coming on this podcast today mean for you?
1: So you know, just the topic, right? Gratitude. Uh, it, it just reaffirms to me. That's one of the other things that has become a new practice in my life. I spend a few minutes in the morning thanking God and being, you know, having gratitude for what I have. Um, just, man, I'm so sorry. I have my ringer off. I don't understand that. I apologize.
0: No, you're good.
1: Just having a mindset of being grateful, it changes the way you feel. It changes the way you show up. It changes the way you deal and overcome with difficulties. And just having a mindset of every morning, if you'll just take a few minutes to not think about what you want and what you don't have, to think about the blessings in your life, to think about the things that you do have and what you're grateful for. And I start my day that way every morning and it's super impactful for me and I try to share that with others. And just the the gratitude topic on this podcast is just a reminder to myself and I hope the folks listening will be, that will become a part of your daily practice. You'll be healthier. You'll be able to, you can't give away what you don't have. And when you're gratitude you're grateful and you have gratitude in your life, it's much easier to give it away. And then folks can then remind themselves or remember to be grateful. So I don't know. That's just, what's on my head when I, when I literally look at the screen and I know what the podcast is title, what it is like, you know what? That's just such a powerful word that I think sometimes um, as leaders We're just, you know, we got to get up. I got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. Um, We got a big list, which I have a big list every day. But I've pivoted from thinking, I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. to you know what? I get to do. And the answer made me change that. Like, I got to do this, this, this to get down my list. And then more gets added to it. So when you're challenged with not being able to do anything because you're sick, it's not what you got to do anymore. It's what you get to do. And just that little shift in the way you look at your calendar and your day will transform your day and those around
0: you. Shifting from what you got to do to what you get to do. You can't be authentic without being vulnerable. Folks, we've learned a lot from Heath on this call today. And we thank you for coming on and, and being our guest. I think the future of leadership in this world looks bright with leaders like Heath in it. And I I know to all you listeners out there, um, this way of thinking that Heath has is accessible to all of you. Why? Because Heath didn't come on our podcast talking about making massive shifts in your external life. He came on this podcast teaching you how to create little tiny incremental shifts on your internal life. A shift in perspective can mean the world, not only to your own well-being, but the well-being of those around you and ultimately outsized business results. See, at Insurance Office of America's, they have a beautiful thing that they call one-degree shifts. And they are the five core values that their company stands for. You can go visit their website, which is in the show notes below, to learn more about those things. But it's it's the closing idea that what we're trying to get you to do, bring more gratitude, empathy, and human connection into your life, doesn't require you having to throw away any big thing on the outside. It just requires you having a commitment to these principles, a slight shift on the inside. Um. There's a thousand other topics that we could cover as offshoots of everything that Heath and I just went through today. Um, and as, a, as a reminder, a lot of the science and the psychology and the ancient Stoic philosophy of every single point that we talked about today is in our number one Wall Street Journal best selling book, Gratitude Through Hard Times. We've made it a mission to travel around the world, helping educate people and bring people together within the workplace around these concepts. Um, It's our lifeblood. It's what saved our life. And and we can't wait to have conversations with with all of you about your cultures and workplaces. If you enjoy the person that Heath is, please visit and follow everything they're doing at Insurance Office of, of America's they are they are spreading this culture. They are making the world a better place. 1,800, 1,500 families at a time, 72,000 customers at a time, and those numbers are just growing. You heard him; he's 46 years young. I can't wait to have this conversation when when he's nearing even retirement retirement age. At, at, at the age of 60, he'll probably have a couple hundred thousand uh, customers and, and tens of thousands of employees. So I can't, uh, you know, I can't wait to see your journey your commitment to humanity. Uh, thank you all for coming on this podcast. Uh, if you're new, click that subscribe button. Share this episode with someone who needs to hear this message. Thank you for tuning in, all you loyal listeners. I hope you're having a phenomenal day on Earth. Remember, folks, it's your world to go explore, and we'll see you next episode.
1: Thank you, Chris.